Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, if you have a Bible with you this morning uh, or uh, a copy of God's Word, maybe uh, your phone or tablet, take it out and turn with me to the book of First Timothy. All right? First Timothy is where we're going to hang out at today, and we are in our sermon series uh, called The Church of the Living God. And uh, this is kind of where we're going to be uh, hanging out. We are almost done in our book uh, or in our study of the book of First Timothy. Um, I hope it's been encouraging to you. Uh, this is your first week with us just to kind of let you know a little bit about where we've been. A couple of weeks ago, we ordained our first elder as a church, and uh, that was really awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was just a really amazing experience. We walked through First Timothy, we read what it said, and then we did what it said. And how cool is that? Like, you know, it wasn't just a, here are our traditions, here are the things we want to do, here's how it's always been done. We just read it, and we got to a part that said to do something, and we did it. And, uh, and so I just think that's really cool and, uh, and was a really amazing experience. Um, and then last week... We talked about taking care of widows in the church. And uh, I know that may seem like, whoa, it's kind of weird, especially um, if you're, uh, uh, you know, maybe younger and not used to that kind of thing. Uh, but really what we talked about was the fact that we as a church, guys, we are a family. And that's one of, the, one of the phrases that the Bible uses to describe the church of the living God is as a family. And, uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, just uh, I can't honestly, I can't say that without, you know, thinking about that. You know, we are family. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I just can't. So the whole time, like I'm writing this message, I got that song like blasting. I'm like, yeah, we are. I got all my sisters. And so I was just like so excited. Um, but that song, like even just reminding us that, man, we can we can feel that sense of family with people who aren't family. Right. Like anybody have anybody like in your life that feels feels a little bit more like family than some of your regular family members. Anybody have those people in your life? Wow, everybody's throwing their families under the bus. They're like, yeah, 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 be careful. Um, no, I, seriously, I understand. Like, I moved here from uh, the great state of Mississippi. And uh, yeah, and I moved here, I guess it's been, uh, it'll be 14 years in August that I moved uh, from Mississippi to Northern Virginia. And uh, when I moved here, I was a single 24-year-old who didn't know anybody or anything. And, uh, and so God was very gracious to me and um, allowed me to be a part. But listen to me, it was, it was hanging out in the church. It was hanging out with the church that allowed me to find a family while I was a thousand miles away from my family. Anybody else ever experienced that before? Like I've, I've known like, and so I often ask myself this question, people who move here, and this might be a question some of you have been asking uh, even the last month or year or so, is the question I was asking was, how do people move here without family who don't go to church? 
Like, how do people do it? You ever thought and wondered that before? And maybe this is your first time to church. You're going, Brandon, actually, I'm not doing it. Like, you know, I, I, you ask, how do I do it? I don't do it. Like, I don't know how we do it. And because the sense of loneliness that you can feel, the sense of, you know, being just by yourself and not having community and not having people to lean on or call when you need something. And that can be just a especially lonely place. In fact, I know people who even go to church who still feel that way, right? And so here's what we got to understand. Church is a family, okay? Now, it is not men. I'm not advocating that you should like call your family up and be like, you are dismissed. You are done. I have a family now. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. That's what cults do, all right? We're a church, all right? Not that. So I'm not asking you, you know, if anything, I'm saying maybe you ought to call your family today, all right? Check out. You're like, yeah, it's been a minute, all right? So, so go. Call them. Do not abandon them. Do not dismiss them. But I want you to know that the church of God is also your family. We're not family, though, by biological blood. We're family by the blood of Jesus, Okay? And that blood um, is actually uh, more binding and, and brings us more intimate, more closely together sometimes than our own biological blood can do that. Um, and so as we're reading scripture today, we're going to learn a little bit more about what it looks like to be the family of God. And so last week, um, Daryl was here. He did a fantastic job, and he brought a message to us talking about the need to take care of the family, to take care of other people in the family, especially people who are often forgotten about um, and that you normally maybe wouldn't run to to hang out with on a Sunday morning, right? And, uh, and so we're going to also talk about another part of the church family that we are to take care of today. But I want you to remember um, that as we learn about how to relate to one another in this family of God, that remember, we're not at Impact Church, we're not just the family of God, we're a new family of God. Like we're, we're still figuring out, like you're like, yeah, we're family, but I don't know none of these people. Like I don't know, you know, who are these people's names? Dude, honestly, I forgot your name and you're up there talking a lot. Like I don't even know. And so I understand, like um, I didn't say we weren't an awkward family of God. I'm just telling you we are a family of the living God. And so today we're going to be talking about um, how do we relate in the family family, um, what does the relationship look like between church members and church leaders? Like, what does that relationship really look like? And so what I want to do is I want to read the passage to us today, um, and then I want to make a few points, and then I'm going to have some ways that we can respond to that passage, all right? So 1 Timothy chapter 5, I never even told you what chapter, did I? Gosh, I'm so sorry, I just, I'm so excited I started talking. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 17. So scroll on down uh, or flip the page. 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 17. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. All right, we're doing good today. All right. Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. No amens? Okay, all right, just checking, all right. No, I'm just playing with y'all, all right. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that uh, the rest may stand in fear. 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, by the way, no longer drink only water. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are... Sounds like my grandmother wrote this uh, letter. The, sin, the sins of some people are conspicuous. That word just means like obvious. Going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also the good works are conspicuous or obvious, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. All right, the word of the Lord. All God's people say amen. amen. All right, so what we've got here is uh, we've got um, Paul giving young Timothy some more instructions about the family of God and how people are supposed to relate to each other relationally, okay? Um, and so, so Paul's kind of chatting through this a little bit, um, and I, I just want to say like today, I'm going to share um, uh, four ways that we get from this passage that the church can care for its leaders, for its elders, okay? Now, I understand that for some of us, that might be really awkward coming from an elder, okay? Like, I understand that you're like, okay, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're a pastor, and you're going to get up and tell us four ways that we can love you. Yeah, yeah, I am going to do that today um, uh, because it is in God's Word, all right? Um, I may even throw some specific ways I like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. So there's some other things that, like, we can do to love on our pastor. So I understand, like, I acknowledge that that may make us feel a little awkward, a little weird, a little uncomfortable. But I want you to know, like, first of all, who better to tell us how we can love our leaders than to hear the, the heart of our leaders, okay? The other thing I want to say is if you feel awkward, imagine how I feel, all right? It's a little awkward for me too. But I also want you to hear my heart in, in saying this. This, is, this cannot be a taboo subject for us. Like I know some pastors who they will pull this passage out in a passive-aggressive way. Okay? So a lot of times when I hear this passage taught in church, I hear it taught in a passive-aggressive way where the pastor doesn't preach it, but they call one of their pastor friends and say, hey, uh, I really think our church needs to hear this passage because they didn't give me a raise this year. All right? Or they, they're, not, they're not being very nice to me, and I want you to come and really give it to them. Okay? So I want you to hear that the fact that one of our own elders can stand up and bring this message is a sign of health for our church, all right? It's a sign that there is no passivity. There is no passive aggressiveness. There is nothing going wrong. I also want to give you this last caveat, is that, man, I and me and my family feel utterly loved and cared for by this church. Like, there is no possible way that we could have handled moving from Fairfax to Fredericksburg in the middle of a pandemic to start this church without feeling the love and care from you that we have felt. And so I just want you to know that like off the top, like we just happen to be in this passage this morning, but I want you to hear too, like to hear my heart that my family and I, and I say my family and I, um, because it is, I speak for all of us, we stinking love you. Like we love this church. Like, and, and I just think that's important because I spend unfortun an unfortunate amount of time with other pastors. And uh, I say that in the most loving way possible. 
Um, but like I spent a lot of time with pastors, and it, that is a minority of pastors who could honestly say that about their churches. Um, so I just wanted to say that off the front and tell you how much we do love and care for you and feel the love and care from you. Um, so with that, let's dive in um, and uh, to four ways that we as a church can love our elders, our pastors. So the first one, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes today, um, the first one comes from verse 17, and it would be this, to give your pastor double honor. To give your pastor double honor. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people can push back on that and go, well, why does the pastor deserve double honor? Like, what about me? Shouldn't I deserve double honor? And I would say that in itself, that one particular mindset is the mindset that absolutely destroys unity um, in the church is because it comes from a mindset, because it's not just church members that can feel that way, it's pastors too. Well, the church keeps wanting me to love them, but what about me? I deserve double honor, you know? And, uh, and that one mindset of thinking we deserve something is what can tear a church apart. So remember, Timothy has been given this letter from the Apostle Paul. He's pastoring a church in Ephesus, and this letter would have gone house to house to house being read in front of people. This wouldn't have been just, you know, anything. Like, these are people hearing and listening and going, man, okay, that, that is true. So what does that mean that we should give our elders double honor? Like, what does, that, what does that mean? How do we practically do that? And I would say, like, one obvious thing is that we uh, give our leaders respect, you know? The word honor um, could, in our context and in our language, mean respect. Like, that we are going, we believe that this person, um, as a leader in our church, is worthy of respect. You know what's interesting is that um, everybody's worthy of respect, you know? But sometimes we have to say this um, specifically about our leaders, because anytime somebody is up front, it, we just assume that it's easier to take some shots, and so, so I believe that it could mean, uh, man, a pastor is worthy of whatever respect you want to give them, they're worthy of double that respect. But here's what the word honor really means. The word honor in the original Greek actually means payment. Um, to honor someone meant financially, to the, the way that we uh, pay them. And so probably what's happening, if I had to guess in Ephesus in this context, is that the pastors who are being raised up to be leaders in the church are not being compensated and taken very good care of. And um, to be honest with you, this is actually part of my story of why it took me so long to surrender into ministry. I, I didn't come from a family that had a lot of money. And in fact, like all the pastors I knew in the sticks of Mississippi were poor. Okay? Like not just poor, but like in Mississippi, we have a thing where when churches built their buildings, they also built a small little house to go next to the building so that they didn't have to pay their pastor and the pastor could live in that house next to the church for free which also meant we just want you to live at church. Like, just live there. Be on call 24-7. And we're not going to pay you because we gave you a house. Do you see the unhealth in that type of situation? So that's what I grew up with. So when people started speaking into my life saying, I think you might be being called to be a pastor, I was like, not going to happen. You know, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, of course, in Mississippi, we don't say pastor, we call him brother, okay? Brother Brandon, 
hanging out at Backwoods Baptist Church, living in the little house next door, you know, not going to happen. And, uh, and so to be honest with you, I rebelled. It did not happen. It did not happen. Brother Brandon did not go to Backwoods Baptist Church and hang out in their house 24-7. Did not happen. And then God began to call me and press hard, and he used this verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And it's not going to be on the screen, and I'm not going to make you open your Bibles and read it, but it says this. It was the last verse God used to kind of wrestle me in and break my back, and it said this, Do not worry about money. Be satisfied with what you have. For the Lord has said, I will never forsake you, and I will never abandon you. In that moment, God said, who cares what the church does, Brandon? The Lord has said, I will never forsake you, and I will never abandon you. And in that moment, I felt the full freedom to say, Lord, you say in your word, you will grant me the desires of my heart, and I don't want to go to Backwoods Baptist Church. But I am good with whatever your plan may be, and I will not worry about money. Money got taken off the table. And in God's grace... Since then, money has not been brought back up to the table because the Lord has said he will never forsake me and he will never abandon me. So no matter what a church says, I got what the Lord has said, and that's okay. So I share that story with you to give you a perspective of a pastor and some of the hardships that some of that may face and, and, and might occur. Um, so, but listen, there's the flip side of it, okay? There's the flip side of it where a lot of people, especially if, you're, if you've never been to church here today and you found your way into this room today, first of all, what a wild ride today has been, right? Uh, but if you found your way into this place today, like you might be listening and hearing and thinking, Brandon, I, I, I'm not sure about that Backwoods Baptist thing, and I'm going to Google that later, but um, most of the pastors I see, they got a lot of money. Like, they dress really nice. They got their own TV channels. They got their own radio station. I don't know if anybody listens to the radio anymore. But they got their own podcast. They got all this stuff. They're making a lot of money. They got their own planes, the Jesus plane. Like they got everything you could possibly imagine and all this stuff. And then you're going, but Brandon, you're sitting here telling us that those pastors are worthy of double what they're already receiving? And listen, I just want to be very clear. I don't think Paul is advocating for a materialistic pastor. I don't think Paul is advocating that we give so much to our pastors and to our elders that they don't have to lean on and depend on God. But I will also say it is not our job as a church to facilitate their depending and relying on God. All right? That is between them and God. And so I want to encourage you that this is not an excuse for the sinful unrighteous, unbiblical behavior that we see among some pastors who use the platform of ministry for their own personal success and gain. That is evil. It is wrong. It is not biblical. It is not right. So Paul is not talking about them, and he is not trying to get everybody together so that pastors can live a really rich, comfortable life. I tell you the two extremes because I want you to see that far more pastors do not live nice, comfortable lives than the ones that we see on the media. Okay? Um, so 
some things to ask yourselves the questions because some people might be uncomfortable and they're like, Brandon, this makes me uncomfortable, like talking about how much we should pay a pastor and how much are you getting paid? And I would invite you to come take a ride in my 2011 Ford Escape and uh, I'll show you how much I'm getting paid. You know, and, and like I was just encourage you, like, um, okay, this is not about money. This is about our motives. This is about the heart behind our motives, okay? The motives of an elder, but also the motives of a church to take care of their elder. And so this is the question that sometimes may help us try to understand. If you are making a certain amount at your job, would you be comfortable with your pastor making the same amount? Because for most people in Northern Virginia, not all, and I'm not trying to diminish those who may have financial hardship in this place, but I'm saying for far too many people, I've sat in a lot of church meetings, not my own churches, but other churches of other friends, of other pastors, who have been told by a bunch of people making three times the amount of money that they're paying their pastor, that their pastor is making too much money. And so the one thing to check our motive is, if your pastor was making the same amount that you were, would you be comfortable with that, even if it's on the less end or if it's on the high end? And that will help you check your motives. But here's the point in verse 18. The point of it is that when we don't take care of our pastors, our elders' needs, we are treating them worse than the beast of a field. Okay? When we don't take care of our pastors' needs, then we are treating them, the Bible says, worse then we would treat beasts of the field. So the first part of the relationship is let's take care of our elders. Let's take care. Let's make sure that the work they do for the Lord, the sacrifices that they have already made to serve us as a church, that at least their basic needs and their families are taken care of. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Another way we can care for our elders is to protect your pastor from unfounded accusations. To protect your pastor from unfounded accusations. The word that Paul uses in verse 19 is the word cautious. To be cautious. So let me hear, I want you to hear me say this. I am not saying that if you find an elder who has practiced sinful behavior or who has hurt someone or who has done something wrong, not to say anything. I am not telling you that. I'm telling you that you should. I'm also telling you that the Bible tells us that we should also be cautious and realize what a big deal it is to make an accusation against one of God's leaders that he's appointed. That it is a big deal. And church, sometimes it needs to happen. Sometimes it is appropriate and right for us to do that. In fact, I would say that there's probably a lot of cases in the church in America today that it should have happened and didn't happen. But I would also say that our motive should be one of caution, not one of eagerness to bring about an accusation against a pastor. Here's a question you can ask yourself. Is this a biblical violation or a violation of my preferences? That's a really good question to ask. Did that elder completely violate Scripture and God's plan and God's will, and that could lead to the harm of the kingdom or the harm of his family? Those are the questions. Is that pastor, is that leader doing something that's going to lead to the harm of the kingdom or the harm of their family? Or is that pastor just do stuff that I really don't like? 
And if that's the case, that's probably something you and the Lord need to talk about. And that's why Paul says to be cautious. Because in the church today, there's a lot of accusations that are made based out of preferences than sin and violations of the scriptures. So here's a few things you can do. Um, because here's, here's my big thing. I don't like it when we just take the Bible um, and just say, here are things you shouldn't do. Okay? But let's see, what does the Bible say we should do? So how do we protect our pastors from um, you know, unfounded accusations? Well, number one, we should be zealous to protect our pastor's reputation from slander. Like zealous about it. Here's what I say. Your life and the bubble of your physical existence should never be a safe place for the gossip or the slander of any of God's children. Period. And that includes your pastors. Ever. Like it doesn't, it's not just that you should put pastors in this special existence. It's just, you should just link them in with normal people. <laughs> and say, hey, we wouldn't talk this way about normal pe other people. I don't want to use the word normal, but other people. So we probably shouldn't talk that way about them. So we should be zealous to protect. So be a safe place, but don't be a safe place for people to sin. We should be eager to defend our pastor. If you have a pastor or a leader that hasn't given you a reason or a cause to think that they are a harm to the kingdom or a harm to their family or the family of God, then that should, you should not be passive about, oh yeah, no, that's the pastor. Well, I don't have any problem with them, but <laughs> I was just having dinner with so-and-so and they've got some problems apparently, and, but I'm okay. I don't, that's not my problem. I'll let them handle that. Instead, a way that we show caution in unfounded accusations is being eager to defend our pastors. And sometimes that just looks with, hey, have you talked to them about this? Then we probably just need to shut this thing down right now. And then if you talk to them and you don't get it resolved, then come back to me and I'm more than happy to help facilitate a conversation that could help get resolved. And here's the other part too is that um, this is, see, this is a better attitude than defaulting to the opposites of these, right? Where we are excited when a pastor is accused. When we are slow to protect a pastor's reputation and there is no urgency to defend them. Because see, at the end of the day, <laughs> being a pastor, I'll give you my personal example, okay? This may not be true for every pastor, but this is not something that I was born going, man, I cannot wait to be a pastor when I'm older because I'm really going to be large and in charge, okay? That was, that was not it at all. I was going to be large and in charge, but my house would be a lot bigger and white, okay? <laughs> I was going to go into politics. This wasn't my first gig. And so when we look at this, realize that there are some people who are pastoring because this is the great calling that God put onto their lives, and they are doing the best they can. Uh, here's number three. The, number, the third way that we can love on and, and um, protect our elders <laughs> is to rebuke your pastor in the presence of everybody when he won't repent of sin. Now, I know those are some strong words, aren't they? You go, Brandon, I thought this was how we were supposed to love on our pastor. That doesn't sound very loving. You're going, I mean, if you were out here saying, hey, the best way to love on, you know, so-and-so uh, is to rebuke them in front of everybody. Be like, man, I don't want you to love me. You know, like, don't be, don't be loving me that hard. 
But listen, this is a very loving thing because at the end of the day, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the entire world but lost his own soul? What does it profit a pastor if he has the biggest churches with the largest budgets, with the most people coming, and the best book deals, and the most listened to podcasts, and the most followers on Twitter, and every, what does it profit that pastor if he has all of that, but then he loses his family? What does it profit a pastor if he has all of that, and then he loses his own relationship with God? It profits him nothing. And so we don't do this because we're excited about it. We do it because we have deemed as a church, as a body, that the behavior and the sin that they are in has been confronted biblically and they will not repent of it. They don't see the error of their ways and not because we care about their platform, but because we care about their soul. And we want to stand next to them as wretched as they may be one day for an eternity in heaven and worship King Jesus with them. We will do whatever we need to do to make sure that this person maintains their relationship with God. And sometimes that means being a pastor is not the best way to maintain a relationship with God. And sometimes that's for a season, and sometimes that's for whatever time you have left on this earth. But the goal is not to be a leader in the church. The goal is to know Jesus, to know him with all of our hearts. And man, we need leaders and elders and pastors who, who are willing to say, man, I messed up. That was, that was sinful of me, and I repent of that. And, if, and this is how I look at it. If the sin was public, then the repentance should be public. Because sometimes a pastor's sin does not just affect that one person or just themselves. Many times it affects dozens, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And so this is actually a good gift and I want you to know it's also very scary to tell you these things because I am not above messing this whole thing up. But in God's grace, I want to know him more every single day. Because getting a chance to be an elder here at Impact Church and watch what God's doing was not my first ambition in life. It is all grace. It is all undeserved. It is all a dream that only God could provide. So I want you to know that this is also good for you when we deal with the sin of our leaders. It's hurtful and harmful, but it is good for us because it makes us sit down and see the publicness of their sin being revealed and look at ourselves and go, dang, I'm doing a lot worse stuff than he's doing. Maybe I should repent too. And that maybe what one person's sin that led to a public repentance that was really hard and uncomfortable for everyone could lead to an absolute revival of the church of the living God. All right, here's number four, the last one. Last thing we can do is appoint each pastor with great care. It's another way we can love on our leaders is to appoint them, put them in that position with a lot of careful consideration and care. What this means is just because you're a good businessman, just because you run numbers for the Pentagon, does not mean you should run numbers for God's church. Just because you know how to lead uh, the military through the trenches of whatever foreign land does not mean you need to be the one that leads God's church into spiritual warfare. 
What it means is we got to be careful that we get the people that God's calling is on. And uh, I've run a ministry for some time now that, that helps invest in especially youth pastors. Because I've noticed that youth pastors often get the raw end. Nobody cares. Just go babysit the kids and everything's going to be fine. But over the last 10 years, we have probably helped restore over a dozen youth pastors either back to ministry or away from ministry and into a healthy relationship with Jesus. We have visited youth pastors in prison and housed them in our house, my family and I. And we have seen a lot of this. But here's the one thing that weaves through all of their situations is they were never vetted to see if God was really calling them to serve as a pastor. They were just looked at and said, you have the talents and skills that we would look for, so you be our youth pastor. And guys, that's dangerous for us. I know it's tempting to go, oh my gosh, but have you seen the way they play the keyboard? Have you heard their voice? Have you seen the way they preach? Brandon, they're way better than you. Like, have you seen, like, the way they can lead a community group? Like, they are amazing. And listen, they might be, and they might be amazing because they are filled with the Spirit of God and the presence of Jesus, and that might be true. So let's dig in, let's find out, and let's put them right in the center of where God's calling them to be, to fulfill the mission of God and edify the church. But let's not skip all that stuff just because they're talented and would put on a good show. Church, let's take care. I've known Wes, we just ordained him two weeks ago, and I've known Wes for almost 20 years. Like known him, not just of him, but like known the brother. And when he came, I said, one day, if God continues to lead you, we'll ordain you as an elder, but not today. I could have. I've known Wes. I know the good, the bad, the ugly, the great. I know it all. The reason we waited is because the Bible said to, that a way that we could love on Wes was to let him come, live life with us for a year, two years, and then discern God's calling on his life. So church, as we kind of get ready with this, I'll invite the worship team to come back up, but I want to encourage you with two things. So don't put your notes away yet because I got two more things I want to tell you. And these are two ways that we can respond together to this work. Because some of you are going, Brandon, dude, that's it. I got real stuff going on, my man. Like I got, I got drama in my life. I got stuff and I came to church to get some healing. And you're up here talking about paying you more. Like, okay, well, first of all, that was not what I said. All right? Not what I said. My family and I are doing just fine. I, but for some of us, that's our mentality. But I want you to hear me say this. The church affects you more than you really realize. Like in good ways, when we're getting this thing right, man, it affects you in some pretty awesome ways. There's people showing up to your house packing boxes, loading up your stuff in their truck, bringing you food, come on. Like love a good church casserole. There's people doing stuff and it's good, but then there's sometimes that we don't get it right. We get it very wrong. And it affects us there too. And it causes this, this phenomenon that we now know of as church hurt. And that church hurt is actually a spiral that often leads us to take steps away from church. But church, listen to me with all the love I can tell you is that often what I've seen is that a step away from God's people is often the first step we take away from God himself. 
And so this is what we see. So I want, to, I want you to hear me say some ways we can respond. Number one, to know that the ultimate purpose is that the gospel would go forth from Impact Church without hindrance. This is why our elders are important to us. And this is why the relationship between the church and our elders is so important because it's actually not about us. It's actually about the gospel going forward. And when churches are in a constant state of butting heads and battling with one another, they may have a building and they may have the lights on, but the gospel is stuck inside the building. It's not advancing. And church, in the city of Fredericksburg, we got tens of thousands of people moving here on the monthly. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I just signed us up for a mailer project. There's a lot of houses, a lot of people moving here. And let me tell you something, they're coming in. And we got to maintain an urgency to get the gospel to all of them. We got a responsibility, church, to do that. And so the Bible says, man, take care of your elders so they can train you without grumbling, without complaining, without problems, without drama. They can train you, equip you, and send you out with the gospel to meet these tens of thousands of people this month and then more tens of thousands of people next month with the gospel of Jesus. He says, and leaders, be responsive to your people so that you're leading them with care and with love so that we can all together join God on his mission. Guys, the end goal of this passage is not for us to have well-paid pastors or a bunch of public rebukes every month, okay? The end goal of this passage is to have a church that displays the glory of God to a world that is incredibly broken right now. Paul's aim in writing this is not to just passively upset elders or to rebuke the church, but to say, hello, there's a a gospel, a message that is living because we have a God that is living. And if you guys are stuck in this rut of inward focus, tens of thousands of people's eternities are at stake. He says, so get this right so that you can keep doing what God's called you to do. But here's the second way to respond today. The second way to respond is to surrender, and I'm about to use a word here, your church baggage to the living God who loves you. The fact is, we are imperfect people, and chances are some of you have found your way in here today, and you have been hurt by a church. You have been hurt by a pastor, or you have been hurt by somebody else, or maybe you're here today and you are a pastor who has been hurt by a church. Church hurt is not just pastors against members. There's church hurt both sides because we're all imperfect people. So I want to say this, and I want you to hear my heart in this. If you don't hear anything else, just please hear this. I am sorry. I'm sorry. These last few years, man, I've sat down with people almost on a weekly basis, and I hear their stories of how a church treated them or how they had to leave. And and I realize I may not have been at that church or I may not have been a part of the problem, but also represent God's called me to be a pastor. And sometimes I represent that hurt to people 
not by nature of Brandon, but just because I just happened to come up here and teach the word today. And I don't, if nobody's told you yet, I'm sorry. That's not how it's supposed to be. There's not supposed to be abuse in the church. There's not supposed to be sweeping things under the rug. You're not supposed to go along to get along to protect somebody's false reputation. I'm really sorry. To those of you who have been in ministry before and you're thinking you'll never go back because you got hurt, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes we as the church, we don't always get it right. And I'm sorry that happened. We've been through a lot since COVID as the church of Jesus Christ. And sin is real and the consequences of that sin are real. But I want you to remember something. Jesus has not given up on his church. And neither should we. We are still God's plan to reach every nation on planet earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you today, if you come in this place today and you got some baggage with you, I want to encourage you, I'm not going to tell you, oh good, yeah, you should have left there. Come, join Impact Church. We'll be much better. No, we'll hurt you too. I don't want to. But we're not perfect. But here's who is. Jesus. So I'm not going to ask you to come and drop your baggage off at the front door of Impact Church and we'll make everything better. I'm going to ask you to come and drop your baggage off at the foot of the cross. Because only Jesus is perfect and church hurt have wounds that only Jesus can heal. And when that happens, I want you to know that you have us to come walk with you to find that healing. But church, listen to me. Please, don't give up on the church. Don't give up. And some people say, well, I'm not, I've, I haven't given up on Jesus. I've just given up on the church. And that's probably not any of you because you're here today. But maybe... Maybe it is. And I want you to hear me say, no, no, Jesus loves the church. The messy, awkward family that is the church is who Jesus saw when he hung on the cross and gave his life for us. And I want to encourage you, man. He has not given up on us. Don't give up on it either. Heal. Take a step back, but first and foremost, surrender. Surrender it to the cross of Jesus. And I believe that at the cross, wounds are healed over time. And I believe with all of my heart, yours can be too. So I love you so much. Thanks for trusting me and letting me bring a message to you about this today. And I'd love to pray for us. And then we'll respond to God's word. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.